time. 
Father, you're faithful. We sing, we declare your faithfulness in this place because we've seen it, because we know it's true. Even when we can't identify it, they have shown us healing in our lives. When we thought there was no way, you made a way. Father, you've given us it all. And so the least we can do is just declare what you've done for us and how great you are. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Psalm 97.4 says, This lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. I see this as a portrayal of who Jesus is, his greatness, his glory. That even in the midst of the hardest things, his light will show up in our lives. That we'll see healing. That we'll proclaim his name in the hardest times.
Yeah. Come on. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, you are king. You are power. You are everything. And Jesus, you've heard the echo of your people. We're crying out constantly. God, whether we can verbalize it, whether we can articulate it, we're crying out for for salvation, for rescue. We're crying out for, for help. We're crying out for healing, for forgiveness. We're crying out for life, for purpose, for meaning. And all those things are found in you. So God, thank you for your word that, that says so clearly that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot understand it. The light that was given to the people is Jesus, is you. You are given to us. You are our light. And the darkness turns backwards. So, Jesus, we raise you up. We make you the priority and ask all things in your name. Guys, it is great to be with you. Turn to the person next to you. Give them a high five. And it is good, so good to see you. glad you're here. If you pass the friendship folders down the road, we appreciate that. My name is Luke, one of the pastors here, and uh, a few things I would love to tell you about. Um, there's a couple of them. One is that on July 19th, we're going to be having another movie night, and it's going to be down on the field, uh, you know, barring the rain turns that into a big water bowl. Maybe we'll bring our galoshes and we'll be swimming. I heard you can watch Jaws now in a pool. My kids have been telling me about this thing, and I'm like, well, maybe we can recreate that down the field, but, you know, we'll figure it out. But it's going to be a hit. It's going to be a How to Train Your Dragon 3. It's a great movie. Uh, my kids and I, we enjoy watching it as a family. I encourage you to check it out. Um, and if you haven't seen it or have seen it, come check it out on July 19th. It's a free event. We're only asking that you register on our website so that we can know how many people to expect. And also, too, it gives you a way to share it on social media and so on and so forth. But we ask that when you come to the movie night that you bring the ticket on your phone or you can print it. And if you don't have a printer, you can give us a call. We'll make sure it happens. But we're, we're trying to figure out ways that we can better serve those who come and by well, counting numbers just for the sake of making sure we have enough parking and make sure we have enough food and all that to plan for future events. So we're really excited. If you have any questions, let us know. But that's on July 19th and How to Train Your Dragon 3. It's a great movie. Come check it out. And then on August 4th, we're going to be having our church picnic. It's going to be at Palmer Park, which I have only seen pictures. Some of you have been telling me, and I drove by the other day, and I am... I am more so excited. It is a beautiful park. And so we're going to be hanging out as a church family. And if you're brand new with us or been hanging out for a couple weeks, we invite you to join us on August 4th for our church picnic as we eat some really good food. We eat some really good food. Can we get excited? We like good food, right? Yep. But uh, we're going to be having some good food. We're going to have a cornhole tournament, which is always a really fun time. You know, we always see the the good come out in everybody as we get competitive. It's healthy. And then uh, the softball tournament as well. So we're going to have some fun doing that. So make sure you check that out on August 4th and uh, more information to come. But um, it's going to be at Palmer Park uh, following um, the second service. So, guys, I am 
am so encouraged by what God is doing. And I'm thankful for what this series has already shown us, is that the truth of God's word rings clear. And when we have that filter of scripture, we can look through other things and we can see through all of the garbage and see the truth of what God's trying to show us. So I'm just encouraged by already what God has done. I'm encouraged by what I'm excited about what he's going to do this hour. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward this morning as we receive our offering. And if you are brand new with us, uh, we, we give of our finances towards the mission to see lives changed by Jesus. We've been changed by Jesus and we want to see more people changed by Jesus Christ, and we give of our finances to that mission. So um, if you're new with us, feel free to let the plate pass. This is for those who call this church their home. Um, but uh, again, it's, it's, it, man, it's, it's so good to be with you guys, and I, and I am I expectant that God's going to do great things this hour. So let's go before the Lord as we uh, continue on. Jesus, we, we uh, acknowledge you as, as Savior and King, and we sit under your name. We stand on your power. There's nothing that we can do in life without you. And, and God, you, you've already heard our echoes. You've already heard our cries, whether it was in the stillness of our heart or whether we were singing out loud or our hands were raised or we were sitting down or we were doing whatever we were doing, God, we were acknowledging that you are king and we were acknowledging, Jesus, that you are everything. And so as we have just sung to you and, 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 and now we give to you, God, I pray that you would uh, work on our hearts, that you would show us that we're a part of something greater in this life. Um, and finances are something so small that we can do to just, to just give towards the mission to see lives changed by Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for changing us. And thank you for giving us something to stand on in this life. We love you so much. In your name.
we start our series summer at the movies um, what we're going to be doing is we're taking a few of these movie clips and they're going to be like modern day parables <clears throat> you know when jesus taught he taught in parables he would take a story that everybody was familiar with or, or items of culture that people could understand so on our in our day we're going to take a few stories that you've seen on a big screen and, uh, and, and, and we're going to put them up. How many know what movie that was there? Raise your hand if you recognize that movie. Okay, a few of you. Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, it was originally a book written by C.S. Lewis in 1950. It was uh, written for, for children. And C.S. Lewis was one of the great apologists. All right, he, he, like, he was a great Christian thinker. He helped people think about Christianity. He helped draw people to Christ. And he would do it by writing these books. And so, you know, th- this, has, uh, this story has been told over and over. And I believe that was 2005 is when that movie came out. And I, I'll never forget, that was the only movie I've ever gone to on opening night. All right? Because I had read the book. How, how many like to go to movies on the opening night? Raise your hand if that's you. All right? All right, the rest of us like to go a week later when the tickets are cheap, all right? So, anyhow, <clears throat> I, 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 so that was my night. I went on that, on that night of the opening night of Chronicles of Narnia. And so, as you're looking at C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote another book. It was called Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to go get it. Pick that book up, download it on your Kindle. It's a classic, and uh, it will help bring you to Christ. So one of the things that he would do, he would write these books, and it would help bring people to Christ. But he also believed that the story should stand alone. So he made this, uh, this, this children's book. It was Chronicles of Narnia. And obviously, Narnia is a, is a fictitious land. But uh, it was set in, in World War II in London. And these four children, their names were Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy. They, uh, they're obviously getting bumped around. They're trying to flee all the trouble of, uh, of London there. But at least they're able to stay in their own country. And they're, they're now out into a home of a professor. And this lady, by the name of Mrs. McCready, takes them in. She's the, the caretaker. And all she does is she walks them around the house and says, don't touch this. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't bother the professor. So leave him alone. And so they have this big, huge house. And now in this big, huge house, 
They're all, they're trying to play and make the best of it. So they're running around and they're playing tag all day long. So now they're, uh, they're coming around and they're playing tag and Lucy goes up and she goes to hide inside of this wardrobe. It's a big old closet wardrobe, right? So she opens up the wardrobe and she goes into the back and she keeps going and all of a sudden she falls into this other land called Narnia. And uh, it's like, you know, there's this door, you know, it's like the magic door. Wouldn't you love to have a closet like that in your house, you know? Just let me go in there and escape reality, come, you know, n- never come back, you know? And so it's like, so they went in there, and they, they would go to the end of the closet, and uh, the next thing you know, she falls out into Narnia. It's winter, <clears throat> it's snow, and uh, it's a magical land, though. All these uh, animals can talk, the trees can talk. And so she's in, enthroned with it, and she meets this guy, he's a fawn. And so this fawn starts talking to her, and, and she has this discussion, and she finds out about Narnia, and it's a place that's, that's, uh, that's always winter. And she says, I love winter. I love winter because winter you get to play, you get to slip and slide on the snow, you get to throw snowballs, and you get to have Christmas. And the fawn responds, well, in Narnia, it's winter all the time, but no Christmas. Now, could you imagine winter without Christmas? Honestly, you know, I mean, we live in Pittsburgh where we have to endure winter. But, you, ha- you know, if you didn't have Christmas to get you halfway through, you know, through, through the winter, uh, th- th- that's what he's, he's using that imagery. He's saying, listen, that would really be our world without Christmas, without uh, there would be no joy, no hope. It's all dead. It's cold. It's empty. And so it's like that. this is where he's taken and he's drawn this picture. So as C.S. Lewis is writing and, and we see the movie made off the book, you see this depiction of a world that's hopeless. And really, I want you to think about this because we live in a world that's hopeless. Our world is hopeless. It's, uh, you know, it, it, without God, your life is hopeless. And so, as you're going through this story, I want you to catch up, catch it because they call the four kids the sons of Adam. And I thought, wow, what an imagery that is, right? Aren't we the sons of Adam? We, we are in the downline of Adam and Eve. And so, um, so Lucy comes back, goes back into the wardrobe, comes back out of Narnia, goes back into the, into the, uh, real world. Then she comes back and, uh, she goes back again and, you know, she told her brother and she told her, told her two brothers and her sister they didn't believe her. So this time she goes back and this time her brother Edmund follows her. And Edmund goes in and he comes out, uh, she ends up talking to the fawn and Edmund is there in the, in the snow and in the winter at the back of the wardrobe, you know, he can't believe it. This is actually real. And then he meets up with the white witch. Thus, the wardrobe. And the witch now, okay? So, so he meets up with the witch, and the witch is like, you know, the, the white witch, and she's got every, everything's winter under her rule, and she wants to eternally rule this place, all right? She wants to be in charge of Narnia forever and ever and ever, but uh, she heard, she knew that there was a prophecy that had been told about these four sons of Adam that would come one day, and they would be the rulers of all of Narnia. So she comes in and uh, and she see, she's talking to uh, little Edmund here and Edmund she tempts him and says listen Edmund you know what I'll, I'll give you whatever you want because you know what I'm just going to take care of you and you'll be the king of Narnia so she's trying to trick him she's she's doing a little bait and switch and says you'll be the king of all of this and, and you'll 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 have everything and not only will you be the king of all of Narnia. But uh, you won't have to worry about your sisters rolling for this. You won't have to worry about your brother because she knew about the four, right? So she was trying to bait him so that she could take all four of them down. 
And then, then she comes to him and she says, well, what would you like to eat? And she's, she's kind of tempting him, all right? And you know, isn't that a powerful question? What would you like to eat? I, I just love that question. Anyhow, what would you like to eat, right? And, and he, he goes, you know, I don't know. How about Turkish delight? And so he made, she, the, the, uh, the, the white witch makes this Turkish delight. And so now she's eating the Turkish, he's eating the Turkish delight. He's like, wow, I can't believe it. And he just, you know, and it's like, wow, this betrayal happens. And so, folks, you know what? I want, to, I want to take you to the Scripture this morning and remind you of this. Because the, what I see here, C.S. Lewis has drawn this point out that we have this problem called sin. And uh, as you look here in Psalm, Isaiah 64, verse 6, uh, the Scriptures tell us that we are all infected and impure with sin. That's some powerful words. We are infected, we are impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds... They are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and sin sweeps us away like the wind. We are all infected. We are impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, look, our righteousness to God is like a filthy rag. I explained that to several people this week. I've had the joy of sharing with several people about how to know that you have eternal life. And the greatest thing that you have to understand about eternal life is that you can't get it on your own. Uh, your sin separates you from a holy God. And so God is holy. We are sinners. And the scriptures are real clear that we are infected. We are impure with this sin. James 4.17 goes on to say, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we have the sins of omission, the sins of commission, things that we do, things that we know that we should do but we don't do. And so what happens is we end up with this whole struggle of sin. And sin is really about a struggle about who's in charge. And so here, here comes Edmund in the story there. He's, uh, you know, he, he's falling for the temptation. He's, uh, he's ready just to take a hook, line, and sinker. And when the temptation comes, you know, isn't this how we all, we all respond to temptation? Well, what's a little white lie? Well, what's just a little bit of greed? It's just a little. It really wasn't that big a deal, right? And the problem with, with temptation is this. The only sins that tempt us are the ones that offer us what we think we really need. The only sins that tempt us are the ones that offer us what we think we really need. Go back to the Garden of, that, garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in the garden. What did God say? He said, you know, don't eat of this particular tree. And uh, the tempter comes and says, wow, you need this. Because if you eat of this, then you'll be like God. And in other words, like something God is withholding from you, right? Like, in other words, that you know more than God and, and that, that God told you to do this and, and he's hiding something from you. So you think that you have something that you want. And so what would you most like to eat would be today's temptation question. Is it power? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it prestige? What is it? What, what, what would be whenever the temptation comes to you? And I, if I could just share this about temptation. There's three things about temptation I want you to remember. Number one, temptation will appeal most to you when you are weak. When you are tired, when you are weak, is when it will appeal most to you. Oh, I need this. And so it's like everything just looks so good. Listen, it always looks like Turkish delight, folks. It always does. I think the word delight is a big part of it, right? It always looks better. I've told people this for years that, you know, there is no greener grass. 
It is brown on both sides of the fence. I want you to understand that. Because you were living over here in brown grass, and then you were tempted to go to the greener grass, and by the time you get over there and you get settled in, it's brown again. Okay? So it's like, you know, this whole bait and switch type of thing. Your temptation, it will come to you. It will be the hardest when you are when you are weak. Secondly, it will take you very fast to a place you never planned to go. Temptation will take you very fast to a place you never planned to go. It's like, wow, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, uh, in, in relationships, the temptation of relationships, uh, improper relationships, man, you go and you go fast. You know, it, it's not like, oh, well, this is just one little sin. Let me show you what it is. It's one little sin, then another little sin, then another little sin, and pretty soon I've walked off the edge. And this is what happens. You, you go and it just takes you and, and it, it sucks you in because it says, look, this is good and it will get better and it will get better and get better. And it's all about the Turkish delight. Um, it always leads to betrayal. Temptation always leads to betrayal. The things, listen, you're, you're tempted to betray your love for God, your love for your husband or your wife, your love for your kids. Your love for your, your job, your, your love for anything, your, your, your relationships. We, we trade all these things when we come into temptation. And so, as uh, Lucy and Edmund were out in, in, uh, in Narnia, they, they go through and, and, and they have these exchanges. She is talking to the fawn and he is talking to this white witch. And so they go back through the wardrobe. And uh, this time Lucy's telling everybody, and Edmund saw it too. And of course, Edmund's denying everything, right? Typical kid, and he's not going to let everybody know. <clears throat> Ends up, all four of them get into the into the wardrobe. They go back into Narnia. All four of them are there, and uh, and this this beaver family comes up to them, and the beaver family comes over and, and begins to talk to them and telling them about the situation of Narnia. And says that listen, we're we're under the right now under the role this uh, of this white witch, and it's eternal winter here. It's just terrible, and uh, you know. But there's there's this prophecy one day about the four sons of Adam, and so they get in on it, and then they tell them about this this uh, this man. Uh, I'm sorry, this lion named Aslan, and Aslan, as you're watching this story, is a type of Jesus. I mean, here's Aslan. Aslan is going to one day rule, and they, and they know that uh, that Aslan would be the hope that would help fit, uh, help help free them. And so that they talk about Aslan. They talk about his presence. And so uh, she comes. Uh, the, the one girl, uh, uh, Lucy, asks, "Hey, is is Aslan safe?" And and the beaver responds and says, "What do you mean safe? He's the lion." He roars and he has power. And, you know, I was thinking about that when we think about God. You know, if you want a God that's safe, you want a God in a box. Listen, our God is is so filled with power. He's so mighty. He's so holy. He's so awesome. Uh, Yesterday, I I come out on the porch around 4 o'clock, and I noticed that the storm was moving in. Do you remember where you were when that storm hit yesterday, right? I mean, it was like it was like the darkest clouds I've seen in a long time. I told my wife, the sky is falling, right? It was like I went outside and I mean, the wind is blowing everywhere. Stuff's flying in everybody's yard. And I'm standing on the porch. I'm like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And then the lightning starts flickering and I'm running right inside, right? You're scared to death of that stuff, right? But you know what it is? It's power. And you see this power on display. And you know what? That was a dangerous storm. 
And, and, and you know, there are, there are many other storms that have come, and they've been pretty dangerous. You know what? Our God is not a safe God. He's not something you put in the box. And you know what the difference between safe and, and dangerous is you can't control them. And so you can't put God under your control. You're under his control. And so when we come, we start to understand that that changes the whole picture of life for you. So, so as, as we're going on along there, here's what happens. Edmund ends up uh, escaping, and Ed, Edmund goes over, and he takes the uh, he takes to the uh, to the to the White Witch, and he's about ready to make this betrayal. He goes over and betrays, and uh, what happens is it's a massive betrayal because he betrays his brothers and his sister. He betrays Aslan. He betrays everything good for a temptation. And I want you to catch this because, remember, I told you in the movie, as you're watching this, think of how, think Aslan as Jesus. And I want you to think of the kids as you and I. We're, we're, we're the sons of Adam. So after Aslan has really messed up, I'm sorry, after, not Aslan, after Edmund has really screwed up. Edmund has really, uh, you know, just betrayed. He's, he's fallen for the temptation. I want you to watch this interaction between Edmund and Aslan. to speak to Edmund about what has passed. you to think about this because as we come before God and we deal with our sin issue before God, look at what Paul said in Romans 8, 1. He says this, so, in other words, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Would you read the yellow with me? So, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is none no condemnation. What Jesus did on the cross paid for your sin once for all forever. And now as you come, look, you're going to struggle. I love when Aslan says, 
He, what did he say in there? He says, what's done is done. No need to talk to him about it, right? So in other words, he had came, he had dealt with it, Aslan, Aslan dealt with him on it. And I love that because that's how the body of Christ really needs to respond to people. That Listen, the past is past. It's yesterday. There's no need for us to relive yesterday. You do not have to live in your past. Amen? We do not have to go back there. You do not have to go back and, and be condemned for what you did when you were 17 years old. You do not have to be condemned for what you did 17 days ago. You do not have to be condemned. Why? Because God, Jesus himself, came to this earth. He paid the price for your sin. And you are free to live with him forever and ever. He gives us life. <clears throat> He says, and because you belong to him, verse 2 there, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have been freed from that power of sin. Sin, remember this, folks, sin always leads to death. When you're thinking about a temptation, it leads to death. There's things in your life that you say, wow, I'm struggling with. It all leads to death. It kills your relationships. It kills your joy. It leads to death. It separates us from God. That's what it's all about. So we have a holy God, and sin separates us from a holy God. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's not, it, 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 it's not that it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because sin, here's what sin does. Sin is not just an error. It's a rebellion. It's a rebellion against the Holy God. It's not just weakness. It's an insurgency. It's not just a mistake. It's a mutiny. And so this is what it is. It's the struggle between, between us and God. And we go back and forth on sin. And here's what happens. We sin, we fall, and sin leads to death. But here's what God says. He said, there is now no condemnation. Now. Based on Romans chapter one verse uh, chapter one through seven, he says there is now no condemnation to those who belong to Christ. If you have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, there is no condemnation. There is nobody that can come after you and condemn you because you are belong to Jesus Christ. And the why you say, well, why? Why is that? Well, I want you to watch this next clip here. What happens to what happens to Aslan is a picture of what happens to Jesus.
courage. So as, as I'm watching that, all I'm reminded of is that's the picture of what happened on the cross. Listen, Aslan, he, he dealt with it. So he, he was going after this so he could free those four kids. And, uh, and he, you know, if you watch the movie, you go back and see him and the, and the witch that he had made this deal. And, and he, knew, he knew the law, though. He knew the law. And you're going to see in the next clip here in just a few moments how that he was much more superior. He knew what, the, what even the evil did not know. So as you're looking at this here today, I want you to be reminded, when Jesus died on the cross, that's what Satan was doing. Satan and all his demons were cheering. They thought it was over. They're like, yes, we are going to rule this world. But little did they know what was going to come three days later. Amen. Little did they know. Um, Jesus is the only one that can pay the price for your sin. The scriptures tell us that the, that the law and the law of Moses, uh, that, you know, that the law could not save anybody. Look here. Verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Uh, keeping the Ten Commandments, you, it, it, it's, it's weak because you can't keep them. All the law was to do was to show you that you needed a Savior. So the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus came and he paid the price to free you so that you are no longer under the control of sin. Verse 4, he did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. He did this so that we could be set free, so that the, the requirements of the law, they were all fulfilled in Jesus because he was the only one who kept the entire law. He was the only one who was perfect. He's the only one that could pay for your sin. And now he said he did it to, uh, he required, for the requirements of the law would be satisfied for us. And notice what he says, so that we would no longer follow our sinful nature but instead the Spirit of God. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. If you're struggling with some sin issues, it's, it's, it's that you're allowing the, the sin, nature, sin nature to dominate you. It's dominating your thoughts. You're, you're going to the wrong places. He says, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. You know, a great prayer that I want to encourage everyone to pray every day. Lord, would you control my life today? 
Every morning, when you get up tomorrow morning, would you pray and say, Lord, would you fill me and control me with your Holy Spirit? You know what? Because that's what the Scripture says here. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit will think about things that are pleasing to God. It's not that you can do this on your own. You need the Spirit of God to do it. Verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Folks, sin always leads to death. It always does. Always, 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 always. Remember that every situation you're in, when you're tempted to take the wrong way, it always leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your minds, what does it lead to? What's it say there? Life and peace. Don't you think our community needs a good dose of life and peace? It's going to come by you being controlled by the Spirit of God. Letting the Spirit of God. So every morning, my challenge to us as a church, let's go before God and say, God, please fill me and let me be controlled by the Spirit of God. Go and pray that again at lunchtime. Listen, by, by, between, between 8 and, and, you know, between 7 in the morning and, and noon, that's a, that's a long time for me to get in control again. <laughs> you know? It's like I can take control back real easy. I can come before God. I think I have to pray it about every five minutes. Why? Because I struggle. We're, we want to be in control. And when I'm in control, it leads to death. Uh, whenever I let the sinful nature control my mind. Listen, it, temptation always looks good, folks. But it's never good. It's never. It, there's never been a temptation that is good. And, and so, so when we come by this, he says, let the Spirit of God control your minds. Wow, this is so powerful. And, and so that is why we are not condemned, because Jesus died. Watch this next clip here. Killed in a traitor's stead, 
the stone table will crack, and even death itself will turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Evan will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one, but not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go, and little time to get there. And you may want to cover your ears. Don't you just love that? I mean, that, that, listen, if I would have been 10 years old and saw that, I would have lost my mind, wouldn't you? It's like, yeah! Listen, that's what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. I, you know, I, when I'm watching that, you know, I'm a terrible person to go to the movies with because either I fall asleep, all right, that, that, I just have that issue, I can't sit that long, or I'm finding ways to preach them, okay? And you ask my wife, she says, I'm a terrible person. She's like, can't you just have fun? I'm like, no, I'm a pastor, honey, I can't. You know what I mean? Just the way it goes, right? So, so it's like, you know, I, every time, in every movie I watch, not just C.S. Lewis, but every movie I watch, there's always a scenario. I'm like, God has the answer for it. But as I see that scenario there, I see this, and I'm like, wow, that's what Jesus did for us. He rose from the grave. I, did you catch some of the symbolism in there? C.S. Lewis is really trying to plant the seeds of the gospel to these children as he's writing his book. Did, did, you see, did, did, you, did you catch what the woman said? What have they done to him? Isn't that what the lady said at the tomb? What have they done to him? Uh, the earthquake, did you catch that? Did, did, did you catch the, uh, you know, the roar? I, I love the roar. Did, did, did you catch uh, the death would be turned over? That's what Jesus did. He turned over death. And the Apostle Paul said it like this. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I passed on to you what was most important. Folks, if you don't know anything else about God's Word, if you don't know anything about Moses and Abraham and all the characters of the Old Testament, it's okay. If you don't know anything about all the other letters in the, in the, in the, in the epistles, uh, uh, it's okay. What does God say here? Look what Paul says. What was most important and what had been passed on to me was that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. This is the most important. The life of Jesus. He died on the cross. He was buried. Verse 4 says, and that he was buried and that he was raised to life on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. This is what is most important. It is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. And folks, I want to share with you today that that is what will change your life. Coming and placing your trust in him that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Uh, you know, when you think about this, as you're watching the movie, you see this, this whole battle of good versus evil. And, and you see at the end, there's this big, big battle. Uh, the White Witch thinks that Aslan is dead, and she thinks that it's all over. So she's getting ready. They're going to take over this Narnia. And then what happens uh, is that the Aslan comes in, and Aslan kills the queen, uh, kills this, kills uh, the White Witch, kills her. And then all that winter is gone, and it turns into spring. And it's like the, the, the end battle. And it reminds me of, of passages from Ezekiel whenever I see that, hey, there's going to be a battle. There is a battle that will come one day at the, at the end of the millennial reign. You're going to see this big battle, the battle of Armageddon. And there will be all the forces of evil versus all the forces of good uh, of God. And guess who's going to win? 
the forces of God. It's going to be God is going to be the victor. And here's what happens. Those people, the kids in the movie, they fought. They were beat up. It was hard, but they finally get to the place. They get to the end, and they get to see the reward. And in your life, you may not get to see the reward on this side, but we will see it on heaven's side. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, continuing in chapter 8, verse 31. He says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Things are going rough in your work tomorrow. You're struggling with some really tough times. If God is for you, and He is. Did you ever think about that? That God is for you? God is for you. Who can ever be against you? Since uh, Verse 32, since he did not even spare his own son, but God gave him up for us all, won't we also be given, won't he also give us everything else? You have an inheritance from God. You're his child. He says, if I've spared my own son and, and I've given him on the cross, I didn't spare him, I gave him on the cross for you, won't I take care of you even more? Uh, Verse 33, who dare accuse us from God? Uh, Who dare accuses us whom God has chosen for his own? Folks, that's what the enemy does. The enemy always comes and accuses you. Don't you know what you did wrong? And he never wants to let you forget it. Satan always is the one who remembers. Listen, Satan will remind you of your past. God reminds you of your future. Okay? Satan reminds you of your past. God reminds you of your future. Who dare accuse us of whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us a right standing with himself. Uh, who then will condemn us? Who can condemn us? We're the child of God. No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at the right hand of God, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You know, Paul, Paul could write that because that was his life. He was threatened with death. He was hungry. He was destitute. He was persecuted. He wrote half the New Testament in chains. And, and, and as Paul, Paul does this, he says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he doesn't love you because there's hard things going on? Verse 37, he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Folks, that's what God has helping you with is your fears and your worries. Folks, I deal with a lot of people come to me and most of the time I'm dealing with fears and worries. And you know what I get to give them? I get to give them God's word. And this will outlast everything. And it's the fact that he loves you and that no matter what's going on, that how bad life looks right now, God still has a plan for your life. He's not done with you. He's not, he's, it's not that he doesn't love you. He's loving you and he's getting you through these hard times. He says here that he, uh, not our fears for today or worries for tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question I have for you today, 
with that kind of love, with that kind of God, with that kind of power, will you trust the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who died in your spot? He, was, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Will you trust him? Um, will you give him your sorrow? Will you work through your sorrow? Will you serve through your sorrow? You know, we live in the world that, that all creation is groaning right now. You're dealing with pain. You may be dealing with some health problems. There's cancers, all kind of health things that are taking our bodies down. Will you continue to hold on to Jesus Christ through those rough times? Uh, through hunger, through famine, through, through destitute, through danger. Will you hold on to Jesus? You know, at, at the end of that movie, the, uh, Aslan gives them all a crown. They made it. They fought all the way through. And Aslan gives them this, these crowns. He actually gives them a new name. He says, Lucy, Lucy, you're now Lucy the Valiant. Uh, Edmund, you're Edmund the Just. Susan, you're Susan the Gentle. And Peter, you're now Peter the Magnificent. And as he does that, I want you to look at this picture. Look at this, the, 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 the picture, the smile and the joy. that they, they put these crowns on them, and, and there's such anticipation and such hope. And I just wonder, what will your face look like when we're standing before God? What will my face look like whenever I see Jesus? And Jesus puts the crown of thorns. He took the crown of thorns on him. And for us, we get crowns. We're living now with the thorns. We're living now with the, the, the heartache, the, the despair, the broken relationships, the brokenness, the, the pain and suffering. But when we stand before Him, will God say to you, Well done, thou faithful servant. We say, Listen, I'm the one who died on the cross and I paid for all your sin and you've trusted me and you kept serving me. And it was hard. The days were hard. And I, and I know all the... I, I remember all those battles, but you kept serving. What will my face look like when I see Jesus? Because you know what? God doesn't look at me as Ken the sinner. He looks at me as Ken the saint. Isn't that wild? He looks at, he looks at you. He sees Matthew down here. This is Matthew Solomon. He doesn't see Matthew the sinner. He sees Matthew, the child of God, the saint. There's a guy in our back row last night. His name was John. I said, we had St. John the Baptist in the Baptist church last night, right? I said, his name was John. God didn't see John the sinner. He saw John the saint. And he sees each one of you. He sees John, George, Joe, Sally, Jim, Alicia. He sees every one of you. You are the child of God. And we've got the new name. So I just want to encourage you because it's like, you know, every Sunday has got to be Easter. Do we understand that? Every Sunday, actually every day has got to be Easter. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you have no energy. You have no power. There's no reason to live. But folks, I, like the Apostle Paul, let me share with you what's most important. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. And he rose again. Will you trust him? Let's close in prayer. Let's thank God this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to trust Him. He paid the price for your sin so that you might have eternal life. And if you'll just come to Him and humble yourself, the Scripture says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. It's because of what He did for you, and I invite you this morning to trust 
what he did for you. So just call on him and pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I come before you and I admit that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I'm in need of a Savior. You came, you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And God, I'm inviting you into my life right here and right now. For others in this room, maybe you've been in the battle and the battle's been tough. And maybe you've been thinking God doesn't love you because the battle's tough. May I share with you this morning? God is reminding you of your future. He loves you. Those trials are trials. He is there with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Tune your heart back to the grace of God this morning. Tune your heart back to the truth that God loves you and he'll never, ever let you go. Father, be with our people this morning as we respond to you, as we ask you, Lord, to, uh, to help us in our daily life and as we come and we walk with you day by day, step by step, realizing that you love us no matter what has happened in our life. There is no condemnation given to us, but we belong in you. We're your child. And you are moving and you're doing wonderful things. God, I pray you'll continue to work mightily in our people as we respond to you. Now we stand and sing in response.